Today's readings revisit the story of Abraham, the primary patriarch of the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He is the father of the faith, but his journey had a modest beginning with numerous stumbles along the way. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and tells him to leave the comforts of home and follow me to a land that I will show you. Obediently, Abram followed God's lead, but a famine brought him to Egypt, and here the father of faith presented his wife as his sister for fear of the Pharaoh, and after Sarah became a resident of the Pharaoh's house, Abram looked the fool for his deception. In fact, after finding out the truth, the Pharaoh was so disgusted with Abram that he kicked them all out of Egypt and sent them on their way. Approximately 12 years later, Abram, still childless, had a son by his wife's Egyptian handmaiden, Hagar. Believe it or not, it was Sarah's idea, but apparently Abram didn't argue about it. But of course, after Ishmael was born, Sarah decided it wasn't one of her brighter moments. And the strife between the clans began that continues to this day. Now flash forward, excuse me, when you preach up here, you have to work with pens to get in the way of everything. Flash forward 20, 13 years, Abram is now 99, still no son, except for Ishmael. And God comes again to him and covenants with him and tells him he's going to make of him a great nation. And in fact, to drive the point home, three men come to visit and tell Abraham that Sarah will have a son in the spring. 
To which she responded, in natural, that that was just preposterous. It was so preposterous she laughed. But God, true to his promise, did bear her a son in the spring, so they named him Isaac, which I know you know means to laugh. To a reminder every time she calls him that you laughed when you heard that God was going to prevent you with a child. By this time, Abram was a, Abraham was 100. I shuddered to think I'd have a child at 65. <laughs> but at 100, he had one. So the highly unlikely, the virtual impossibility became a reality. So I guess the question today is, out of these stories that we've, any of us that's been in church any amount of time have heard these stories countless times. Well, let's just look at them again and see what we can can learn from the story. First, God sought out Abram and chose to covenant with him. He's the one that went and found him. They call it a unilateral excuse me, covenant. God was the one that made the agreement, and he was the one that was going to keep the agreement. Abram was just the beneficiary. Genesis 15, if you want to go back and look, records the ceremony in which God covenanted with Abram. After dark, after Abram was in a deep sleep, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of the sacrificed animals, an act that symbolically identified God as the sole maker and keeper of the covenant. That's good news for us because you can't depend on us to keep a promise at all. This is a continuing theme in scripture. Man doesn't come to God, God comes to man. And for Christians, the ultimate example is Jesus. God cares so much for us that he doesn't wait on us, he comes to us. This is the good news, as God came time and again to Abram in spite of his doubts, in spite of his weakened faith, in spite of his inconsistencies, God comes to us as well. And it's all about faith, so I guess you could say that the key to receiving God's promise is this faith, the word we use so frequently and so lightly, but I want to just dig a little deep to see what in the world do we actually mean, even though we've defined it many, many times. In spite of his numerous lapses of faith, Abraham is considered the father of the faithful. In the Hebrews passage, Abraham is presented as one who kept the faith and one who did not waver in concern, concerning the promise of God. But if you look deeply, it's not Abram's obedience that he was rewarded for it was his faith the idea that he had faith that God would keep his promise the Hebrew scripture presents the story of Abraham a flawed human who did not stay true who did stay true to God in spite of his mistakes and that truth should encourage us we make mistakes but God will stay true to us we too have our periods when it's easier to be pessimistic and just give up. But faith compels us to move forward with optimism. God will keep his end of the bargain. He's the guarantor of the promise. So now we get to the question, what is faith? I could just open it up and not even be a rhetorical question, just let people start answering. That might be interesting. But the writer of Hebrews defines faith as an assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
And that's exactly what it is. It's seeing things that aren't there yet. The sermon title asks the question, is faith a noun or a verb? And the answer is yes. In Greek, the word pistis is translated faith. And it's the noun form of the verb pisteo, which means to believe. Now, we don't have a word believe and faith as two separate words, but in Greek, they're all based on the same word. But for me, the implication, one is the, the verb implies an action, a noun and kind of implies that you're describing something. But the implication is faith is not only who we are, it's what we do. And the writer of James went on to say that faith without works is dead. A conclusion that is so in your face to the religious community that Martin Luther would have preferred to not even be in the scripture. That's just too in your faith. I, he didn't want to think you could, works had anything to do with faith. It was just some intangible sort of a thing. So maybe some of y'all will identify with me. I know a lot of y'all are like me. You grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I enjoy growing up in a Southern Baptist church. But sometimes I feel like the Southern Baptist sold me a bill of goods. They made faith look so easy. Just believe and everything will be all right. Faith is not about doing anything. It's about accepting Jesus as your personal Savior and saying some kind of sinner's prayer, which I didn't know there were any other kind of prayer than a sinner's prayer. <laughs> and, of course, get baptized. Must be immersed. You get to be baptized, and then you're good to go. Good housekeeping seal of approval. I wish things were that easy. It wasn't easy for Abraham, and it's not easy for us. Faith is not a prize. It's a process, a lifelong journey. Instead of defining exactly what faith is, let's look at a couple examples of what the scriptures say faith isn't. One of the other scriptures that was in the lectionary today that wasn't read was out of Isaiah. And that prophet said that God says, I've had enough of burnt offerings. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He prefers that we cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, and plea for the widows. So it's about more than talking. We know at Northminster, in fact, we did a little bit today, we talk a lot about worship. But I submit to you, and I may get some feedback on this, God has spoken through his prophets and made it clear that that's not the most important thing to him. To those who worry that somehow worship will descend into some kind of irreverent, holy level, if it's not done a certain way, I say to you, let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. God has spoken through scriptures. In Matthew 12, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees because it's Disciples glean grain on the Sabbath. It's not lawful, they said. Jesus said, if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. And when Jesus was condemned for healing, oh my God, healing somebody on the Sabbath, we don't do that. He said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Shut up. 
It seems clear to me it's not so much what we do, it's what motivates us to do it. Now in Acts chapter 8, another story you'll be familiar with, a man named Simon came to Peter and John when they were laying hands on people and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. He says, ooh, got to have it. He said, uh, how much would it cost me to get some of that? Peter got a little bit mad and he said, your silver perished with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Now this scripture prompted a man named Wilbur Rees, which some of y'all may be familiar with his devotional book, to write this devotional in 1971. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. <laughs> Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. What he's trying to say is, we don't want faith to change our lives. We just want it to make us feel better. But real faith makes us uncomfortable. I mean, when we come to church this morning, did you come to feel good? Nothing wrong with feeling good, but real faith and real God makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to come to church and be uncomfortable. But that's what the Spirit calls us to be, uncomfortable enough to change. It pushes us to reach outside of our little circle and to look so far outside the box that we don't even remember there was a box. Now, over 30 years ago, a group of people went out on faith. They had no idea what lay ahead, but they stepped out anyway. That is our church's history. But faith carries us into the future. Abraham remembered that he had left his home and everything he had, but he moved forward and he knew he could never go back. We have a good foundation. But what good is a foundation without a house? We must build upon the past, not live in it. Faith calls us to move forward. God is with us in the present, just pulling us forward, pulling, pulling, trying to get us to move. So, my friend, trying to see, Joanne said she wanted 10 minutes, let's see if I did it. So, my friend, we'll get serious here at the end. What kind of faith do you have? The kind that clings to norms for fear of the unknown? Or the kind that steps out with just the knowledge that God is with us? A little military analogy now. Do you have the faith to go on a journey that requires you to travel light? Or is the weight of all your possessions and preconceived notions so heavy You'd just rather stay at home. God calls us, as he did Abram, to leave the comforts of our own prejudices and follow him. In the words of Harry Emerson Fosdick, may God grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of these days. And I emphasize for the living of these days. Amen.